0: So hi, thanks for having me. My name is Tim. Uh, I'm from Hamburg, Germany. I'm currently responsible for uh, a software for conversion optimizers called Iridion, but prior to that, for the past 13 months, I worked into in digital product consulting, and um, building up on this from this period and the experiences I made up there, uh, they led to my talk, which is um, MVPs are too expensive, and I will share some uh, some. Experiences from my side what led to this conclusion and what you could do about it to uh, avoid falling into the trap of this perception for your stakeholders So at first I'm happy if you take away three things from my talk today uh, at first What's the actual problem for uh, when you work with many stakeholders about the conception of MVPs? the second thing why you should even start your hard work of validating initial ideas before you jump into code and build an actual MVP and the third thing is what's the actual, what the actual challenge is when you try to validate hypotheses which are related to upsell moments in freemium products. But before going into that, I wanted to make sure that we have all a certain basic understanding of what an MVP actually is, and this is why I brought the best visualization at least I could find around the internet. You may have seen it before. It's from Hendrik Nieberg, which is quite a known agile coach, worked with Spotify and other companies, and I really like the visualization he has provided here, basically comparing the more traditional approach that you like that it takes you four steps until you have produced something which is valuable for your users or your stakeholders. Uh, Instead you should already try to produce value of the very first step you take when building a product, building a skateboard, uh, when your end goal vision is building a car. So that's a very good emphasis of what what an MVP could be. But there are some misconceptions out there about what MVPs actually are and what they're supposed to do. And those misconceptions especially have a to me when working with more traditional thinking companies, old school CEOs, and past experiences they made when building products with agencies or other internal partners. So the first one is that an MVP is basically just a crappy version of all the planned features of your whole product. But nevertheless, this crappy version of all the features is still good enough to live on even after you have launched and you don't need to iterate on those. And the third thing is that an MVP is actually the cheapest way and thereby also the fastest and maybe even best way to validate your initial critical hypothesis. if you look at those three misconceptions, I think it's rather e- rather easy to understand why, somewhat traditional thinking, companies and CEOs are reluctant to the concept of MVPs and building MVPs, and they don't want to build MVPs, which leads to the approach Adam lined out this morning that that the MVP appro- that MVP products are bloating up and really become those high polished things, and people are um, fearing to to launch them. Actually, the best definition, at least I. Uh, could have come up with when trying to rephrase what an MVP is about, at least in my head, and what I tr- how I try to communicate it to other stakeholders is that an MVP is mainly about building the most critical value proposition you have come up with with your product to further prove your product's idea's potential and the product marketed, product market fit, market fit and to ship it in the best possible quality. It is not about building just a slimmed down or extremely compromised versions of all of your features. So this is how I try to rephrase the meaning and the purpose of an MVP towards stakeholders, other CEOs, and more traditional thinking companies. Fact remains that you have to build an MVP, which leads to another problem we will take in a couple of seconds. So after having this, um, taking a look at this beautiful visualization from Hendrik Nieberg, what an MVP actually is, and looking at a slightly rephrased definition of what it is, one could say that MVPs are pretty cool. So we should do them. They're good. We should validate them, uh, validate our hypothesis, doing MVPs all the way. There's a certain problem with it, at least from my experience of thinking. And this is that even when building an MVP, like having all the aspects in mind, they're still too expensive. What do I mean with too expensive? Uh, I mean by that, that they're always, no matter how how lean you approach an MVP, there are two costs of building an MVP. On the one side, we have the cost of actually building an MVP, And on the other hand, you have the cost of waiting for the MVP to arrive, and the result and the validation which you desire to come from it. How does that align? So if you split product development into two tracks, most of you are probably already familiar with. Uh, Most commonly, it's the product discovery track, and it's the product delivery track. And there's certain roles within your company, which are involved to a certain degree in either of those tracks. So on the product discovery track, you mainly have the product manager, you have a product design person, may even have a tech lead, uh, or you have a business owner being involved in validating what's the next hypothesis, how to validate those, how to, get o- how to get along, how to move forward, and put them later on in delivery. Those are the people who are producing the cost of waiting, because they are doing maybe some validation, but in the very end, they wait for the MVP to arrive and for the validation results to come in. On the product execution side, uh, on the delivery track, so to say, you of course also have the product manager to a certain degree, you have also the product designer, and you have the development team. And it's, in most cases, definitely the development team which is most busy building your MVP, thereby they produce those costs of building the actual MVP. So those are the two costs which are always involved and go hand in hand when you try to launch an MVP and bring it to market. When you look at the timeline of an MVP, when you actually try to push it out the door, no matter how you approach it, there may be some differences in the way your company structured or how you do it, but in the end, I've experienced it that a couple of steps always repeat themselves. On the very first step, you have to do some kind of concept or design work. You have to lay out what you want to build. You somewhat need to slice your stories or your tickets, however you frame it, to structure your product team's work. You need to do some rough high level estimation so you know what you're running into. You need to plan your work a little bit. And then you have those development iterations, mostly in the form of sprints, until your product finally arrives. Which means when you build an MVP and you use an MVP to validate your hypothesis, this is the moment you're validating at the very end. But in my opinion, This is the actual moment where you should be validating your critical hypothesis, and it shouldn't take you the time which is needed to go through those four steps in order to, uh, until you arrive at a validation point. So what can you do about that? Um, One thing to have in mind when trying to uh, untangle this MVP delivery validation problem is to still look how those two tracks, product discovery and product delivery, play together. So on the top end, you always have the repetitive actions of framing a problem, exploring the problem, validating it, creating potential solutions, and then you have a yes, no decision point, and then you, of course, it drops down to the delivery track if you're lucky. Um, So even though those tracks mainly go in parallel and maybe they're, they're pretty much intertwined regarding the actions which are taking place, there's one common pitfall I see product people stepping in, which is that they take it for granted that everything which they discover on the discovery track needs to go into delivery. And to increase the pressure of letting those st- the stuff drop down, what you have uh, discovered in the, uh, in the upper track, is that management is most oftentimes uh, most focused on the down part. So they are focused on what you're actually producing, what's the output, what are you executing on. This increases the pressure to you, and the, which leads to like maybe some very speedy decisions regarding what to bring from discovery down to the delivery mode. So. After after laying this out, the necessary costs which are related to building an MVP and that you should validate even prior to starting the first design concepts, leads to the conclusion that you need to be pretty creative when it comes to validation uh, of your initial hypothesis even without a development team because they produce those costs of building which you should avoid in the first place when you're early on, which is kind of hard because creativity is hard, being creative is hard. So it's fair to raise the question, why do I need to validate at all? It's hard. Can I just build the MVP and roll it out there? You can't. And there's a very simple explanation why you can't do that anymore. So in former times, you had this approach of like, how, what was the way of uh, allocating resources, time and money, It was basically top down or someone in the team said, ah, I think this is a pretty good idea based on my gut feeling from what I know, we should do it, we should spend time, money, and people on that. Compared to a more modern approach, which CEOs and product leaders are taking in companies, they ask the people coming up with ideas, where's the actual proof that this is a good opportunity to spend time, people, and money on? And this is the reason why you should validate in the very first place, because in today's world, you you even have to earn the right to allocate resources to building an MVP by validating even prior to that, by collecting proof and pitching your initial idea. When I look at the way people validate out there, I see four very common mistakes being made. The first one is that you fall for confirmation bias, which is to just look for confirmation for your initial best idea. That's a very good post out there from Marty Kagan from Silicon Valley product group, which perfectly outlines this pitfall um, of just hunting confirmation for your own initial idea. The second one is that uh, you only set up one hypothesis to validate and don't go with a broad set of hypotheses outlining your complex product. The third one is that you only invalidate validate indirectly, and I will come to that in a minute, um, what, it's, what, what this is about. And they pick the wrong method for the right questions. So even, you, even though you may know what you want to validate, you simply pick the wrong methods. Which lets us to the questions, which type of validation are out there? On the one hand, of course, you have the qualitative type of uh, validation, which is uh, you, you talk to people, what do they need, how they are people solving the problem. So you talk to them, it's about what people say. On the other hand, you have the quantitative and behavioral um, type of validation, which is do people want the product, which design works better, so you're interested in what they do, not just what they say. Those are the two main types. There's another aspect which comes into play when you try to validate your hypothesis, and this is the degree of which upsell or purchase decisions are involved in your validation. The reason for that is that buying something, whether it's um, a pricing tier for your SaaS product or just an e-commerce product, um, purchasing something at the very moment where you put in the credit card data is such a deeply psychologi- psychological event which increases um, the, the, the factor and the complexity for your validating efforts. So, for example, if you look at your typical freemium product funnel, so most of you have, uh, out there have probably heard of them, you're even probably using freemium products, so you have a basic tier and at some point you need to upsell. And the typical freemium funnel looks somewhat like that. So at one stage, you have the download access. So you download the app, you access the website in the very first place, you sign up, you register for your product, so you're in the free tier. Then you start to engage with the product, you build up usage, you get uh, get a certain lock-in effect building up, and at the very end, you have the upsell effect, of course. And if you have a hypothesis around a freemium product, uh, an upsell driven product, you, of course, have to look at this funnel and have to establish very early on where in this funnel is your make-or-break hypothesis for the end success of your product. Let's just say it here. It's here. So the very um, success of your your new product or feature idea depends on how many people do sign up in the very end. bad message, uh, or the, the bad news for this one is for everybody who loves talking to people, this is probably not the way to go if you want to validate whether someone will buy your, in, your, your new feature a new product. Because as I said earlier, buying something is so psychologically uh, hard to reproduce when talking to people, you just have to fake the, the, the purchase experience as close as possible to the real life in order to get a valid result whether will some, someone will buy it in the end or not. So some examples you may have heard of or may have even not. Um, of course, you can do like something like a pre-order MVP. You can do some smoke tests by just like, uh, putting up a small trap for the new feature. You, my personal favorite, you do some fa- fake email testing by just uh, suggesting there's a feature, and people can buy it right now, right from the email. And you can do a concierge MVP. So those are methods you should focus on if you really want to uh, get down to your upsell-driven hypothesis around the success of your product. And to give you, give you a very specific example, also what I meant earlier on with um, only validating indirectly, um, so for example, uh, let's say we have a, you have a freemium product, which is a social network, maybe for business purposes, and you have the hypothesis that you introduce the visibility of profile visitors as a new paid feature to business professionals, and we think that this will um, generate an additional growth of roughly 15% more premium members per year. And then you come up with an experiment and uh, you say, I'm confident that the hypothesis above is true when I see a roughly uh, less than 3% click-through rate on the new purified picture email test. So the problem here with this hypothesis is that you're testing engagement. We're just testing, does this new image click? So does it engage with our users? So it's fair to assume that in the long run, this will lead to a more upside-driven um, uh, increase, but you can't be sure because you're just focusing on the engagement. A better way to do is that you state the success criteria of your experiment new hypothesis that you really have to put in a specific buy now button, so you have to fake that people are going to really can purchase this uh, access to the new feature in the, in the email already in order to be more certain that people will buy also in the very end. So this is a concrete example comparing just validating for engagement comparing to validating for upsell willingness at, uh, in, the, in the last one. To summarize some findings when it comes to validating upsell hypothesis, um, the first one is don't fall for qualitative methods, even though they may be a bit better or a bit easier to conduct. And you have to be less creative to do qualitative validation. Uh, You should focus on quantitative measures. Um, Don't focus validated engagement with a real willingness to pay, right? So because it's so psychologically psychologically, uh, difficult for us to fake purchase decisions, don't focus on the engagement, focus on the real upsell, upsell. Um, Fake the payment moment to make it as real as possible, no matter how you do it, whether you copy the credit card data from the MailChimp form by yourself and put it into your billing tool. And uh, the last one I would recommend to prepare is that you should have some vouchers and discounts in place as compensation for those people who try to upsell, of course, can't in the very first place. Because there is some anger amongst users, you should be ready to react to those. And those were my thoughts on why MVPs are too, uh, too expensive. Thanks.